CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, August the 9th. We are less than a month away uh, from actual football, which would be a great thing. Um, but we're not, probably not going to do a whole lot of football talk tonight. We've, we've been really football heavy lately, and, and there's been plenty of, uh, of basketball recruiting developments to, to discuss. So we thought I, I thought we'd open up the, the, the Q&A line uh and and get some some questions for the night for tonight's episode i I'm, I'm, i haven't looked at them um specifically because i wanted to to kind of be surprised as we as we do it i don't know if the other guys have, have read them or not but i specifically didn't um just because i like to be surprised about things um but yeah we're gonna do some of that and then we're gonna talk about basketball recruiting inevitably uh at the end um but before we do that let's go around and introduce everybody out in fishersville david spence is back on the show how you doing buddy I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. There it is. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter. Oh, and he's and he's just going to give you the nice Twitter handle and everything without any kind of any kind of lip. I like it. Uh, up in Arlington, uh, staff writer Justin Ferber is also on the show. How are you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. Thank you very much. Uh, add Justin underscore <laughs> Ferber on Twitter. So random. And Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, Let's uh, let's get to the questions first, because I do want to make sure that, uh, you know, before we get all sassy um, <laughs> or or more uh, lippy, that we, we actually answer the questions. Um, first question comes from Go Wahoos, which is a nice uh, – that's actually a pretty good uh, username if you can get it. Uh, who will be the first player to join UVA's 2018 basketball class? Uh, Ferber. What's what's your crystal ball say? Because you have the you have that fervor gut that I t- typically trust, be it uh, game scores, pre pregame meals, all that stuff. What's uh, what's what's your gut tell you uh, on the on the twenty eighteen uh, for the first commit in, the, in that class? <laughs> no one, <laughs> no one ever. Oh, that's tough. Um, First, see that kind of make that's a wrinkle. Like you can't, you don't necessarily go with like most likely. You kind of think about timetables. That's true. Um, I'm gonna go with somebody that was offered recently, and I'm not saying he's gonna commit to UVA, but this is a total shot in the dark because I think the landscape is very wide open right now. Um, so I'm gonna go Luther Muhammad. Yeah, that was kind of what I was thinking too as I read the question. I mean, he it, to to jump in there with an offer to make his top what was it his it was a top 5 right 5 I think. um to make a top 5 that soon thereafter um and to and, and you know be in the mix considering all of the the different forces at play uh i think he may he would make a lot of sense i think first is hard to say because clearly they're going to want to line up visits and clearly uh, they're going to want to close out visits um it's funny because and i'll get to um as I was scrolling just a second ago, I, I saw one question that I kind of want to segue into a conversation later about. But I think that it'll be interesting to see how how folks handle the uh, the stresses that come with what visit you get and who else gets visits and that kind of thing. But I do think Luther makes a lot of sense. Dave, you want to you want to make it a trio? Yeah, I mean uh, that's who I'd go with too. I mean, with, what's with funny my is elaborate is, background. Well, what's funny is about that kid. Is it like I think because. One, because there was initially, I think there was like the, the excitement about not just Luther, but also Quinterly, because you're talking about a kid who played high school ball with him, who they played AU ball together. But I think for a lot of folks, the, the Quinterly news about him, you know, making a decision so soon um, really shocked some people. Um, and I think for a lot of folks, they thought that when UVA went after Luther, they were trying some package deal. But um, you know, these are probably two kids who have played a lot of ball together and might be better off playing ball at different schools because they, you know, they they probably want to play much of the same position. Um, but we'll we'll talk more about that in, the, in a minute. What true freshman Grafton nineteen ask? Uh, do you think has a better has a shot at seeing decent time on the field in twenty eighteen for football? Um, so I, I don't know. Well, first off, um, man, surprise of the day that Grafton's asking a, a football question, but. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to guess from his question what he means is what current commit is going to see time as a f- true freshman next fall. But then I'm also not sure if he meant 2017 or 2018. So I think what we should do is we should answer this both ways just because we, we like Grafton enough to, to do that. I'll go first on this one. In, in terms of the freshman class this year, and I, I think we you got to take um, Atkins um, and Peacock a little off the table because they were enrolled early, and to some extent Crowell too. Um 
But the guy I think you're going to see a lot of uh, this this uh, this fall that you're probably not expecting to see a lot of is Elliot Brown. Um, I, I, I was really intrigued with him, and I wish I had gotten to see more practice time. But there was this one play, and in his athlete, anyway, he was uh, it was the two. So I'm not I mean, I'm not trying to you know crown him the the next uh, king of the world or anything. Man, I've been watching a lot of Game of Thrones. Um, and he he had this one play where he just kind of sliced through, and it was. I mean, he was a he's a very long dude to be moving that quick um, and to be that fluid. And I thought, huh. Now, I say that and I know that there are a bunch of the folks who are all about red shirts who are like, no, you don't. Need, but like they need they need help uh, at, at linebacker and they're going to need guys who are ready. Um, and that's a position that you really don't have much depth. So getting a kid ready, you're going to have to. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what he has. What uh, what about you guys? Any any freshmen that are currently enrolled that you might expect to play a lot? Dave, let's start with you. Yeah, yeah, I think going outside linebackers is the safest bet given what we saw last year. So, um, you know, Brown, maybe even Snowden, but um, I'm going to go Zane Zandier. Um, Zandier, Zandier. Yeah, I think he's got a little more. Gone was my first choice, and then I got to thinking, you know, Mack and Kaiser, how much are they going to come off the field, really? Um, so, I, I mean, I think the safe play is to go linebacker based on what we saw, and I'm going to. I'm going to go Zane just because you went with Elliot. Uh, for the record, Zane Zandier in the uh, in the it's Z- it is Zandier for the record. Okay. Um, interesting enough, Gom uh, game is not in there. I've been saying Gom for forever. This is this is why I should just ask people um, how to say <laughs> names. Ferber, uh, freshman currently enrolled, who you think will see the field? And if you say Lindell Stone, I promise to hang up on you. <laughs> Can I say Brian Delaney? <laughs> yeah, oh my God! That, oh oh God! Well, well played. Well played. Yeah. Come on, well man. played. Yeah. I thought you guys were leaving it for me. That was rookie. Yeah, that was rookie hour. Right yeah, there. that's what we were doing. Yeah, yeah that was. Doing. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we we're just we we're just totally leaving yeah, it there. I mean, I would say him. I, I agree with all the other choices that you guys made, though. Elliot Brown was somebody um, that just like looking at him, you can tell that he's ready to play physically. Um, it was just going to be like a learning thing, and then the other guys are kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum where. They're not necessarily, you know, like physically unprepared to play, but they might not be as imposing as him, but they also have a pretty good football acumen and a lot of experience playing at a high level. Also, there's no there's definitely no way it was Zandier since he's from western Pennsylvania. There's nobody named Zandier. <laughs> uh, I, I currently have no regrets about uh, about not thinking of Delaney because if I tried to get too cute with it, I would have said something like Tommy Crisp because then he would have been the long snapper. Um, because he has been long snapping uh, through camp. Um, I guess the other guy you could have gone with is Mandy Alonzo, um, despite missing that one practice because he forgot his helmet. Um, or, excuse me, because he and, and Joey Blunt were not on the field. Um, I, I do think he's going to see some time, and I think that they were already kind of trying to get a look at him. Now, the other half of a potential other half of, of Grafton's question was uh, what's. Um, if we let's say let's 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 say he, he what he meant was current commit who could play next year. Um, do you guys want Hunter to, Pearson? <laughs> <laughs> probably not quite as well. I don't know. I think that that would make a nice a tandem. They would allow Delaney to be the punter. Um, and man, the ball really jumps off that kid's foot, and the kickoff guy, and let P- Pearson be the kicker. Um, but what no, uh, I think you got to look inside linebacker, man. Yeah, Gatlin or Garrett. Um, one of those two would be my first bet. But I was T.C. Go with Harrison, just so impressive on the film I've seen of him. Um, and you, you're going to be replacing you know, outside linebackers. So, yeah, he could he could be it. But I'd probably – I'm going to guess Garrett. Yeah, I was going to go with Garrett too. Ferber, what about you? That's a good choice. Um, another guy that I think might be just ready to play from a depth perspective, I don't think he'll come right in and start or anything, is Samson Reed. Um I just think that he, you know he's already got a pretty good frame. He's listed at like six three two fifty, I think, something along those lines. Um, so I wouldn't be totally shocked if he comes in and is able to make an impact right away at defensive end. Yeah, that would make that would make some especially sense. with Andrew Brown leaving. Yeah, that's a good point too. Uh, do you have any? This is Jayhawk. Uh, do you have any info on how Marco looked this summer? Does the staff think he's ready to play? Marco had knee surgery. Uh, was it knee? No, was it knee or ankle? Crap. He had. He had a, he had a, he had something cleaned up. It was like uh, I don't know if it was scar tissue. That or was cartilage. Frankie, wasn't it? Did I say Frankie? Yeah, I did. It was Marco. Yeah. Oops. 
Let's back up a train. This is why you do things <laughs> live on air. Uh, do you have any info on, on Marco? Well, the last I heard about Marco, oh, I totally said Marco and was thinking of Frankie the whole time. Um, the last I heard on Marco was that he was that they were gl- that you could you could see flashes from him, and then he he had the typical sort of freshman. Um, mistakes and it, it, he was taking it really hard from what i heard because he is the only he was the only freshman playing right typically you have a couple other guys who are all going through it together and there's a sense of we're gonna be all right that kind of idea right but he was the only one kind of screwing these things up and i think that was a little bit difficult for him um but the last i heard he was pushing through it and the staff was was doing a good. I mean, look, look. I mean, no, 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 no. You know, discontent or anything like that. Just typical new guy uh, in a in a big pond trying to figure it out. Uh, there's a lot of growing pains that come with what UVA does on both ends of the floor. There's a lot that you have to process, and there's a lot that you have to be able to do. And he's coming into a, with a group that has, you know, has a very strong nucleus. And so it's going to take a while for anybody to sort of, um, you know, to get to a place where they're running to that level. And so I, the last I heard about Marco was that. Definitely showing flashes. Definitely think he's he's going to be a player. Um, he just has a lot to to pick up, and these uh, the summer months, uh, the summer practices and stuff are very good for him. Um, I am not talking about. Sorry, Arden. Not not talking about the the foreign kid. I'm just I can't. All right. Uh, how do this is Evie asking? How do the rookie quarterback stack up to Ben Kirk taking experience out of the equation? I'm gonna say that I don't really know what that question means. Anybody, am I reading that wrong? How did the rookie quarterback stack up to Ben Kirk? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess she's just talking. Uh, I mean, they're talking cr- uh, Cross and, and I don't Stone, really think but, of Cross as a rookie, per se. I'll, yeah. I would say it like this. Um, it's kind of impossible, especially at that spot, to take experience out of it because there's a comfort level that comes with being a quarterback. Uh, I think Ben Kirk has the best arm of the group, I think, Cross has the best wheels. I think Stone probably in the long term is a better um, processor of the offense. I mean, that was one of the things that that Ben Kirk sort of had to, you know, he had to just jump in with both feet last year. And I think to some extent there were some similarities between what UVA was going to run and what he had learned at ECU. But it was, I almost feel like maybe because he had that baseline understanding that it was hard for him to sort of learn it the, the, the way this staff does it. If that makes any sense, but, but Stone is a blank yeah. slate, and therefore he didn't have to unlearn or the terminology and things that were were, were coming from one way. I still think Ben Kirk is is far and away the the best of the bunch. I, I think Stone is probably going to be a better um, a better prospect than most people think. Are you guys? What, what do you guys feel right now about the quarterback situation? It's thin. This dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, thin. I mean, I don't know. It, I mean, you mean like projecting after this year? Um, I think that the guys in the system aren't necessarily like untalented, but you're playing with fire, I think, with this few number of scholarship quarterbacks. Because, um, you know, what if somebody does – like what if Rector comes in and something happens to him and he's not quite ready to go and then you're down to Stone and then a guy that um, – you want to play a wide receiver, but you might have to play quarterback. And then you have Matt Merrick, who we don't really know much about. So, um, yeah, I mean, you say what you want about the the London era quarterback handling, and it was bad for sure at times. But, I mean, I always felt like they had enough guys. Like, I didn't think that they weren't going to have enough guys to play if something, like, catastrophic Yeah, that's true. That's true. Usually they I mean, had, like, seven dudes. Maryland years ago maryland i think it was like four or five years ago now when edsel was there but they had to play like a linebacker quarterback because they had so many quarterback injuries and they probably had more quarterbacks than uva has right now yeah that's a good point i mean i i never i, I it's funny because in in that era you never got a feeling that like the virginia didn't have talent you, they just didn't know if you had uh any way to to figure out what was good versus what wasn't now you're yeah. just like well you feel like you got a good starter you're really unsure about number two i still believe um, until proven otherwise, that they're going to have Stone prepare week to week as if he's the number two, but in a game that Cross would go in, and I do think they're going to have packages for him to go in. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they have some wrinkles within that package to have other guys in the in the mix, whether it's direct handoff, direct snaps, um, you know, that kind of thing, where you're you're sort of moving things around just to create some chaos. Um, yeah, we talked about it a little bit last week, like, you know, 
everyone's standing quarterback. I mean, <laughs> we're, you, your starter's got to be healthy and, and good to, to have a productive season. But, um, yeah, I do think Stone kind of gets overlooked. because um, You talk Ben Kurt this year, and then everyone's excited about Rector. I think Stone's going to be just a hell of a quarterback. I mean, if you go back and watch his – there's a lot of film for him from him at Woodbury. And don't look at his arm strength. Don't look at the result of the play. Just watch, He always threw it to the right guy. Like, you watch a lot of these high school films of quarterbacks, and you see him just with a big arm, and they're just winging it into double coverage. Stone was picking the right read. Like, he's a smart player. We've seen it come out news in camp. And look, if you're a smart guy who understands the offense – you don't need to have a gunslinger's arm. I mean, Matt Shaw didn't have the strongest arm in the world. He just, you know, had great accuracy and understood the offense. So I'm very excited for what Stone can bring. I think you're right. I guess, you know, Stone's going to prepare as a QB2 all year. Um, my guess is the staff would prefer not to burn his red shirt um, unless they think he's going to need considerable play time, playing time. You know, if Ben Kirk comes out for a play or two, it's cross. If he's a little dinged up and he's a couple series, maybe it's cross. It's, I don't want to speak to, to other other issues for superstition reasons, but um, I'm high on Cross. I, I'm excited for what I mean. For, I'm high on Stone. I'm excited for what he can bring to the to the team down the road. Um, and I think preparing his QB two, whether he gets in the game or not, is going to help him a lot next year. Right. Um, at which point, then we got some big question marks. Yeah, but, that's true. And um, you know, in some ways, if you you feel like if you have to play him and, and he plays well. Uh, then you're on cloud nine, right? But if he has to play and he doesn't, and there's you know the whole eight mark uh, situation all over again in, in some ways, I still think that um, you know the kid, the lot is going to be asked for him from him and, and and Rector as well going into spring ball, um, and so I feel like in in terms of the quarterback questions, like hey, let's we're gonna, we're going to talk about that constantly in the spring. Like that's literally all all we're going to talk about that and like how you how you move on from. A defense that had Kaiser, Blanding, and Brown, but uh, I just feel like um, I, I feel like it, it. Like Ben Kirk is so far ahead of the other guys that this, and you really, you're really more talking about contingency plans, and you might as well not borrow trouble. Um, Cast fans seven two seven ask defensive line three four versus four three. Can can Moy Powers or Handback hold the nose tackle position? Are there any redshirt freshmen or true freshmen providing hope? He's there's another question in there. Um, I'll save that for a second. I will start this one off. I kind of think that you are mu- you are less likely to see a base three four consistently this season than maybe any in Broncos career. Um, I've just seen way too much of this two down front where you're almost playing this weird sort of hybrid thing where you don't know whether Peace or Cook are going to drop back in coverage or they're going to come forward. They're basically like stand up defensive ends. And so you're almost playing a fourth. You're almost you're, you're and they and they do it in different packages. So there's different personnel behind them, um, which I think is somewhat fascinating. They're gonna be they're gonna be some weird alignments. You're gonna see sometimes I think where where Andrew Brown and and Jawan are on the field together, and there aren't any other down linemen or Eli. Um, I think that between those three, I don't know if Powers is really in the mix at at the nose, but I do think that Mandy Alonzo could be in the mix at the nose. Um, Moy has. Has put on a good amount of weight. The question is always going to be, you know, um, how how he plays with it, uh, and whether and how much he still needs to put on. How can he? How much can he maintain? I think one of the the unsung stories on the defensive line is that defensive end, because you can move Andrew Brown around a lot. Like in that two man front, I've seen him playing closer to what you would expect a a defensive tackle to play than a defensive end. I've seen him all over the place in just the little bits I've seen. But Stephen Wright would be another one I'm I'm really curious to 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 see, um, and then also I think Powers at, at at defensive end. At least for me, I, I don't know if other than you know Mandy Alonzo, um, maybe Christian Baumgartner um, at one of the ends would make some sense. Um, I don't know if there's really a whole lot that you're expecting to kind of pop off right away. I do think down the road, Tommy Chris, John Kerwin, those are big dudes, man. Like those those are some big dudes. Um, and now how quickly they can get ready and go, I'm, I'm not real sure. But um, at least for me, that's that's kind of where I think uh, the defensive line is. What do you guys? How, how are you guys feeling about the defensive line? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it quite a few times. I mean, I think if if Moy could hold the nose tackle position, we wouldn't be talking about you know Eli trying to get Eli burned there now and get him in. So um, I mean, I think long term Moy can, especially if he gets 
another 10 or 15 pounds or, or learns how to play the position. I mean, he came in as a linebacker, did he not? I mean, <laughs> so it's not like yeah. he's got a lot of time with hand on the ground. So I think handback can. Um, he's a little taller than your average nose tackle, but he's strong. And obviously he's he's got the the, the mentality that the staff likes and, you know, is a hard worker and, and had a very good season as a freshman last year at defensive end. Um, you're right, though. I mean – very. If you look at our schedules, very few teams we play that, that run a traditional running offense. I mean, um, so you can get a little exotic with your defensive line when you're trying to stop more of a spread offense. Um, but when it's third and short, you got to be able to stop it. Uh, my guess is handback plays most of the snaps when you've got to you know, be in the running package. Um, I mean, he has 3-4 versus 4-3. I don't expect we'll see any 4-3 this year. Um, and then, you know, I've heard... Isaac Buell's name come up a couple times too. Um, so, I mean, there's some intriguing options there. Um, I do like the way the depth is getting stacked. I mean, I know they're not highly rated recruits, but you see them, you know, they come in as a, as a three-star, you see them and they, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. If you can do that, maybe they got something there. Yeah. I mean, I think Brock has mentioned this at other positions, but I think that it applies to defensive line as much as anywhere. And, and that's, you know, trying to find a way to put your best 11 guys on the field. And I don't necessarily think running a base 4-3 all the time is the best way to do that. So I kind of understand, uh, you know, the idea of throwing like a more hybrid, multiple defensive look at some, you know, other teams. Um, I, I think that the only problem I could see is, you know, if you if you have two down linemen, um, Cook and Peace, you know, they have a lot of responsibilities in the base 3-4 and, you know, like playing the pass and the flats. Um, stuff like that um and they need to be able to do that even if they drop back and, and come in sometimes but the only concern i might have is like you know getting off blocks uh those guys are are kind of more in linebacker well chris peace is up to 250 um which we wrote about this week but i mean i i, I don't know that would almost be like a 4-3 when you would have like a small line i don't know um but I think that that still gives you the opportunity to be more multiple. And honestly, teams aren't really in their base defense much anymore anyway in college football. So you're going to see a lot of nickel anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's the other thing, too, is with that, with that two-man front, what I, what I was seeing was, was some kind of weird combination between like a, a real stack and a, and a nickel. So uh, his other question was yeah, about – no, go ahead, Dave, go ahead. I want to add one thing on there. I think we, we all are kind of guilty of it. We get so focused on, uh, on the nose tackle issue – um, and the defense last year, you know, wasn't very good. You know, Wilkins was there. That's great. The defense still gave up 30 something, you know, 30 points a game, essentially might've been higher than that. I don't have my numbers in front of me. Um, but you know, when you look at a three, four, Justin did a great piece, you know, after Bronco was hired, the three, four is a defense that is designed to confuse the offense. Like you don't know where the fourth pressure is coming from last year. We were so vanilla, not just because of, you know, it wasn't a defensive line issue last year, nose tackle issue last year. It's a not understanding the defense. So the fact that you've got 11 guys on the field at any time in any configuration that Bronco trusts more to do more exotic stuff with is going to help whatever you're doing in the, at the defensive line. Yeah, and, and I know that in one of the Virginia sports videos, Brandon Pertile, did I get that right? You did. That's um, correct. Yeah, that one. That, that was another one where you had to go to the pronunciation guy, huh? Um he said something about like he had never seen so many blitzes um, in a practice. So I thought that was interesting, especially coming from a, a team that's had a defense kind of all over the place in Oklahoma State. They've been good some years and bad some years, um, but they've changed the way that they've played over time. Um, so I thought it was interesting what he said, and he was at a Georgia State before that. So the fact that he's seeing more blitzes now than he's ever seen before, I thought that was interesting, or different looks at least. Speaking of uh, of Brandon, uh, he Cavs seven two seven also asked, can you talk about the second team offensive line? Their conundrum is there any player that'll emerge as a legit ACC starter, or are we basically waiting on the seventeen eighteen offensive line commitments to grow up and start? I think that uh, Ben Knudsen, um, Dylan Rankins Meyer are going to play. Um, I would say they're running with the twos right now. Uh, Stephen Moss seems to be right there on the cusp of the question of when Jack McDonald comes back. One of those guys is going to start. One of those guys is going to be on the second team. Uh, R.J. Proctor, I'm curious to see where he fits in. I believe he is an ACC lineman, without a doubt. 
um, and he's probably the best of the group. I just don't know how they where they want to use him and how. Um, and I, I think of watching the freshman, I think Ryan Nelson is much bigger, I think, than I expected him to be. Um, they list him at 280, and I don't know if that's really possible, to be quite honest. Um, I have not looked where he is on the updated, uh, if somebody wants to do that while I'm talking. Um, but he, he, he will be a good one. Um, but I think for by and large, what you're waiting for is not just the 17 and 18 kids. You're also waiting for uh, stability in general. I think that's going to be the, the big thing. And, and quite frankly, I think uh, Pertile and Montalus are kind of the, 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 right, uh, the right sort of uh, injection of, of, uh, of talent in there. Um, let's, go, let's go to the next question. Uh, any word on how the Hoops player summer development is going? I mean, honestly, I, when I talk to different folks, really what I was curious about was Marco more than anything else because how he, how he performed in, informed some of what UVA was going to do on the recruiting trail because we've talked a lot in the past couple months about how you know, Tony would go to these uh, VAF uh, socials and talk about the fact that you know, he thought that, uh, that he was losing. These, these, he talked about transfers and the fact that these are kids that he has, you know, the program has invested a lot of time in, and, and these are guys that they liked a lot. Uh, and to see them kind of leave at the end of their uh, – their careers is, is tough so he's not the, the the basic gist is is they're not going to recruit as hard in terms of filling spots so like even though the ncaa says 13 they're probably never going to have 13 or rarely have 13 guys who could actually play you know without unless you're talking red church or, or guys sitting out because of transfer um so that was really the focus for me was how how would marco um sort of shake out and what would that mean for them in terms of recruiting do they they want to keep looking after a wing. They, I think they've decided that they just need they need more offense, uh, and they like they, they wanted to go with a uh, with a lead guard and then a wing, somebody who could handle the ball but also score, be it shooting or, or you know creating for himself. I have not heard much else other than, um, and I, I'm going to say this, and I know <sighs> this is why I don't do practice whispers, but I want to do it anyway, much to my own uh, dismay. But I you know the the. I had a I had a team source tell me, man, when was that? You'll know you'll know that Kyle guy is, is ready to take the next step when he shaves off the man bun, and then he did. And then I've heard really good things about his off season. And let's just leave it there because the next thing you know, folks will be talking about it going pro or something. Um, <laughs> all right, that's a good one. What happens if both Ben Kirk and Stone get hurt? Would Cross be the man? Maybe switch one hundred percent to read option like we. Did with Vic Hall for a game or two. I can't even answer that question. <laughs> well, I'm too superstitious to even get into that. <laughs> I, I, think, I think he answered his own question. Yeah, kind well, of. <laughs> have no choice. Cross would have to be the quarterback. I mean, it, yeah, if got Spaziani. Well, I don't, I don't think, <laughs> I think that they would go to uh, what's the what's the other kid's name? The uh, wasn't there like a walk on kid? Not the not the Texas kid, but the other Tristan Hillerich. Yeah, Hillerich. Yeah, you know, what I mean? but yeah, then you're talking catastrophic stuff. Also, See, the good thing about Cross is he did play quarterback all the last season, so he should be pretty familiar with the concepts of the offense, even if he only plays a certain package right now and practice at quarterback. He should be familiar with the offense, at least, you know, yeah, at large. Because it, and, and then so, I mean, if they him... had to do that, they could open things up for him and let him play a more traditional role. Yeah, and also, too, like, he's playing wide receiver, so he at least understands – you know, route concepts and who's where and, you know, the hardest yeah, part about getting somebody going is the, is the, is the, is their comfort in the offense. Obviously it would be a challenge. I'm not trying to, you know, belittle it, but I don't think you'd have to go 100% read option, but you probably do a lot more running and they probably would install some sort of change in that department the way they did uh, with when they, you know, some kind of like they're used to at least flopping the offense. Um, I still remain astounded by the fact that they were able to go from Taysom Hill to Tanner Mangrum the way they did. Uh, yeah, but I don't think they'd be any worse off. I mean, maybe, but it depends. But I don't think they'd be any worse off, really, if that happened as if it went the other way and Bankard and Cross got hurt and Stone, Stone had, had to be the guy. Yeah. I mean, at least Cross has been with the team since the coaching staff got there. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what's the pecking order at wide receiver? Alameda Zacchaeus, Joe Reed, Donnie Dowling, Andre Lavroni, Warren Kraft, uh, Cole Blackman, uh, Hasis Dubois, plus Freshman Smith, Pratt, and Jana. That's a lot to choose from. I would, I'll say it to you like this. I think there are going to be certain groups that you're going to see, not necessarily always together, 
but there's going to be some consistency. I don't know if Virginia's going to do as much rotating in and out of the, as, as they did last year because I think with, with Alameda being the guy um, – with Alameda being a guy you can move around and they don't have to move him around and also move uh, Taekwon Mizell around, I think you're going to see Dubois play more because he's a really good blocker. Reed is going to be all over the place. Um, I would imagine that you've probably got a good feel in this list. Uh, I would probably move Dubois up ahead of Kraft and Blackman simply because, um, one, he's super-duper physical. I mean, he's a strong kid who blocks well on the edge. And then, two, Kraft is still coming back from an injury. Um, you know, with having to sit out so much time with the concussions, I'm just glad he's you know he's able to play. I think that's a that's a great sign. So uh, I think that's pretty that's pretty fair right there. Maybe Dowling in front of Reed, but Reed is going to yeah. be moved around so much that it's going to feel like he's used more. But Dowling's going to be a go-to guy for sure. Yeah, yeah he's got to be one. You know, <laughs> he's going to have a special season. Uh, we've talked about it all the time. If you guys haven't watched the Lambethville video from yesterday, you should. He's he's pretty fast. That. OZ guy. I mean, you, go ahead, sir. Um, no, I was just going to say one thing to keep in mind with this offense is that Bronco and, well, Robert and I, uh, differentiates between inside and outside receivers. Not every program does that. Sometimes they'll just go one, two, three and kind of move them around as, as whatever. Um, obviously, Alameda is your number one inside receiver. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Joe Reed has been listed as inside receiver before, but I think he's going to be a little bit more versatile and maybe he's a little bit more on the outside than than maybe he was in the past. Or I mean, his packages on offense last year were pretty limited anyway. So, I mean, obviously, Hasis is an outside guy. Um, Andre Lavroni is an outside guy. Donnie played in the slot a little bit last year, but he was only outside a lot, so... I mean, I think as far as the first team on the depth chart, you're probably looking at um, Dowling, Lavroni, Zacchaeus, and if they want to put a fourth guy out there, Joe Reed. Um, but I, I think Joe Reed will play as much of, as anybody else. It's just the way that they put it on the depth chart. After that, I think it's kind of determined by, like you said, situational stuff, like who can block. Um, we saw a lot of Hasis last year. Just not, He didn't get a lot of targets. Um, so I think he'll still play a lot. He's kind of a forgotten person, I think, sometimes. Um, and then the other younger guys, I don't know if we'll necessarily see them as much. Sean Smith could end up kind of replacing Joe Reed to a degree on special teams if they want to lighten his workload a little bit. I still think we'll probably see Joe on special teams to a degree. Um, he did a pretty good job in kick return last year. So, And then with uh, Jenna, I don't, I don't really know if he's going to play this year. If he does, he would be an inside guy. Uh, Justin, this is a this is a staff that believes in and not or, so I don't expect Reed to lose too much. <laughs> He's going to be a wide receiver and yeah, excellent special special teams player. Yeah, I mean, and he did a good job with it last year too, so I don't yeah. really um, think that'll be a problem. I'm uh, I'm going to skip the next question and package it with another question and and come back to it. Uh, can we expect a more aggressive defense on the field this year? Let's go get some quarterbacks. I think that's with 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 Cook and, and Peace. And Kaiser being the, probably the best blitzer of the bunch, I think that's what you can absolutely expect. Um, and I think that's it's not it it's not going to be hard to tell. Um, okay, let's let, let's close out because wow, we got we got a lot more questions than I expected. This is uh, this is going to be good. All right, why can't Tony Bennett close the big time targets? What's holding <laughs> him back from consistently closing top five star talent from in and around the state? We know how good of a coach he is on and off the court, but what specifically is wrong with his sales pitch? Aside from the Blue Bloods, what are Arizona, Texas, Maryland, Miami, and other coaches saying that Tony's not? And then uh, BK asks, are we allowed to worry yet about the 2018 recruiting class, or are we going to secure a class that will fill all the fans' hopes and dreams? All right. I I think that – Basically, that was just Brad. Fix recruiting. (laughs) In some ways. I I think – I understand – We've got to get rid of this minute guy. No, no, no. Look, look. look. I I think – look, we can have a fair discussion about it. Is, there's no doubt that um, there's no doubt to me that, that that fan frustration is coming from two things. One is uh, that in eighteen they were going after from the start pretty much a whole lot of highly rated kids. There were lots of openings uh, that you had in the class. You could do so much with this class. There's so many opportunities, and there were so many guys they were they were tracking guys that had offers and stuff. Um, but the other thing is having to watch other schools get them. Um, I will say it like this. There are three kids that Virginia wanted that they missed on in this class so far. Okay, They are Javon Quinterly, uh, A.J. Reeves, 
and and Jerron Brooks. That's it. Now there were other guys they were tracking who were committed elsewhere. I would say that they also missed on the Llewellyn evaluation because clearly he struggled that first week of July. Uh, had a good second week. Put the uh, made the hard sell to schools. Landed at Princeton and then had a you know a really good close to the summer. Um, so clearly that was a that's a that's a rough beat um, to take. And but you have to you know they certainly weren't alone. Like I said, in my word room like multiple ACC schools said thanks, but no. Um, I wouldn't say that there's anything wrong with the sales pitch. I think it's multiple things. Uh, I, I think that, one, Bennett has a specific idea of what he wants in his program. And what he wants are guys who are invested in the program. That's not to say that the guys who don't choose UVA aren't invested in that. It's just to say that that might not necessarily be what they're looking for. Some of them, they go and they find other versions of that elsewhere. Um, some of them might not necessarily be looking for um, you know, the type of – you know, academic, you know, situation. Maybe they want more freedom on the court. They want to play faster, or maybe they want to play a little bit looser. Um, maybe it's a little bit of all of these little pieces kind of put together. Um, also, Bennett is not a salesman. I mean, you can call it a sales pitch, but he's just not. He's not going to go to a kid and say, "I want to hand you the ball the first day." Wait till that kid signs and then says, "Okay, now you got to earn it." Like that's just not who he is. He's very honest with kids. He talks to them uh, about you know, the way he feels like they fit in with what Virginia does. He talks to them about things that, you know, they, they like things that he thinks they need to work on. He's not, he's not going to be a different guy recruiting just because everybody wants to have five stars. Like that's just not going to happen. And so on some level, the best thing fans can do, and I mean this with all sincerity is, is just, is, is just understand that either, either you're, you're good with it or you're not right. Like on some level, he has to just be who he is. Um, I think in this class, even though they offered a bunch of guys, I think it took him a while to sort of get to a place where he knew what his needs were and he felt comfortable with really tracking the skill set aspects he was looking for um, in, in some ways because at the same time, I, I think that he was, uh, and this is just me reading tea leaves, he was somewhat struggling with the idea of like they don't have anything that's clear cut. Like you need a backup point guard, right? But you needed that point guard to be a, a kind of a defensive-minded sort of bulldog guy. Um how are you going to go and find that when you already had another guy who was going to be your point guard, right? Um, how are you going to go out and find a wing who had to beat out several other wings? You don't need a guy to walk in day one and be your guy. I mean, in the post, think about it. The, the, the general consensus right now is that if, if they don't get David McCormick, they're just going to go out and get one in, in 2019. They don't have – their needs are not immediate, though they feel immediate because they need the depth. But kids in this high caliber recruits, they just don't go somewhere to sit. They don't go somewhere like Virginia to sit the pine. Now, UVA reels off a couple Final Fours, and maybe they go somewhere to sit the pine. But, but I think in some ways the 2016 class, I don't want to say it was a misnomer, but you just don't get multiple four-star top 100 talents to sit in redshirt. You're just not going to get that. Those are special situations driven in large part by the circumstances of those two recruits. Um, I don't think that there's anything that Virginia can do differently other than you can make an argument that from a perception standpoint, offensively, people think of Virginia basketball as being slow and boring and that there are things that Virginia can do to change that. Now, there might be concessions they have to make on the other end, and that's not always fun. Um, So the reality, too, is that in some ways it's not necessarily anything wrong with the sales pitch. It's that in this class there just weren't a whole lot of kids early at least that we're buying now here's the thing bk asked about are they allowed to worry or are we going to get are we going to get secure the class fulfill all hopes and dreams i genuinely don't think you could ever fulfill fans hopes and dreams never going to happen like this class could totally end up being luther muhammad uh the richardson kid and david mccormick and you'd have three four-star kids in the top 75 in their class and people would still be upset because they didn't get javon quinterly right but if you told back, if you went back to 2013, and you said, "Oh, in a few years you're going to have five, you know, we'll, we'll count, Mom, you have five top 100 players, and two of them are going to are going to choose to to redshirt, and then a year after that you're going to have three top 75 kids, you'd fall all over yourself to get them. But because you've been watching how the sausage is made, it feels like you should be stressed. And listen, I'm not going to tell anybody not to be worried about it because listen it's uncharted territory for UVA they're just not used to being up to August the 9th and not having a commitment in the class 
but that doesn't mean they're not going to be okay, they're not going to be okay, and it certainly doesn't mean that they're not going to get guys that are going to fit the system, because quite frankly, like they could get one kid and he and he takes off, and that's what they need to, to bridge the gap to nineteen. Because realistically, they just don't have a lot of needs. It's not like they were in the situation, and I, and people keep forgetting this. What did they need in the offseason? After the transfers, they needed a point guard. Like, they needed a dude right away. And they found him. Like, he's sent straight from central casting, right? He's a bulldog, athletic one who can get to the rim and, and create for himself off the dribble. Like, that's like if, if you want to talk about recruiting, that was the recruit that they had to get and they got. Closed him after, like, I think it was the first weekend that he was on the board. So I'm I'm not saying folks shouldn't be worried. I'm just saying like, do your best to keep some semblance of of uh, of balance in how worried you get and what you're worried about. What do you ultimately what you want is for is for the team to have the best players they can get and win a championship. That's all that matters, right? Yeah, I mean, I just want to kind of echo a couple of things that you said, but I think one of the issues, and I'm not trying to say it's like the fans' fault, but I think one thing that people forget, they're losing these battles. I mean, they, Quinterly, you know, he chose Arizona. Um, Arizona hasn't quite been the program that they were, um, you know, like in the 90s. But they're still, I mean, they're still probably a more desirable program to a the average blue chip high school recruit than UVA is. Um, and Villanova is at least on par and probably beyond that because they just won the national championship. Um, I think that, and I'm not saying this to disparage the coaching staff at the university or anything like that, but I think sometimes you have to realize what the perception is of the school. Um, you know, if you ask the average four star from, let's say, Illinois, like outside of UVA's recruiting footprint, what they think of UVA, they'd be like, oh, ACC school, good academics, um, well respected coach. Uh, I was at their top 100 camp, they have a nice arena. Um, if you ask them about Duke, they're going to have a very different response. Um, it's going to be, they're going to start talking about players that played there and coach K and tradition and Cameron and and all this stuff. It's just different. Like, and you can say like, Oh, well, Malcolm Brogdon, you know, he was the rookie of the year. That's great. But he also plays for the Milwaukee bucks. He was a second round pick. And honestly, like the average high school basketball kid probably doesn't really they might know who he is, but they don't really like follow him as as they would follow, um, I don't know, anybody. Know, yeah, the, like the, a lot of the yeah, anybody who would one or two. Or... Yeah, yeah, John Wall or something like that. You know, like they know who he is, right? But, like it's going to take time for UVA to get to a point where they're pulling kids that UVA that they you know that had offers from Kentucky and North Carolina and Duke. And if you, that's your expectation, then you probably need to change your expectations because. Tony is going to get kids that relate to him well, understand where he's coming from, get his pitch. And that goes to – I'm not going to get into all of it, but obviously that goes to stuff that goes beyond the basketball court. Yeah, um, no doubt. And so that means that you're going to have some some players that you're just not going to get. And at the end of the day, it's it's not just tradition or whatever. The offense plays a factor, but it's all of that stuff combined. I mean, it's not – and UVA still hasn't reached the level that they would – you know, like – what I mean is Tony has done an excellent job of taking the players he's gotten and won, right? And those players haven't necessarily been the Javon Quinterleys of the world, and he's still winning, which is great. But at the same time, that if, if fans are like, well, we need to get those guys to reach that next plateau, well, sometimes it has to go the other way. The, the egg has to come before the chicken. Right. Um, you have to get to that level before you really start getting those players. I mean, look at – I mean, it's the same way in football. Like, I mean, look at these programs that – you know, they reach a certain level and then it's hard to break through. But then if they get the right coach who can recruit or whatever, like it takes time. Like look how long Dabo was at Clemson before they finally broke through. Right. And it took class after class after class of just depth and depth and depth. So, I mean, they're going to get players in this class. They're going to get players that they that they are going to be good players at UVA. But I mean, expecting them to just be able to snap their fingers and get kids because they're going to the Sweet 16 more often than they used to is a little bit far-fetched to me. Yeah, I think and I think that's fair because here's the thing is that for a lot of a lot of us who follow the Virginia program, you know how much they win. You know how consistent they've been. You know well, how weird this past season was. And yet, at the same time, like what have they won? They've won one ACC tournament championship, right? One, one ACC regular season championship. 
Yeah, not, and, the, and, these, and these recruits aren't thinking about UVA when they think college. But like, UVA would be like the 25th program that came to their mind. Right. You know? Now, that's or not to I, say that, that, that— In that same place that they were in three, four years ago, maybe there's a difference. You know, maybe you get Kyle Guy that you might not have been able to get before they won the ACC title. But, I mean, for the average, the Keldon Johnsons, the Javon Quinterly's, um, those guys, like— UVA is still a notch below these other teams that they tune in to watch all the time, like Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, et cetera. It's just the, the way it is. I think the other thing to keep in mind here, and, I, and I'm not trying to play devil's advocate, but I do understand the, the thought process, that on some level a coach's job is not just to win the games. A coach's job is to get the best players that they can get, and, a, and, and, and recruiting is a big piece of that. And however, whatever you've got to do to be the one who wins in those battles, you have to do. You know, obviously, you're not gonna if you're you know you're on Tony Bennett's staff at UVA. You're not cutting corners the way a lot of schools do, and I think we all understand that that happens. That being said, I I, I just think that for, fa- for 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 a lot of fans, this this one was hard for a number of reasons. And I and I always say this on the board because I say 2018 was a weird year. You had like several different factors combining. Okay, for UVA specifically, you had. The fact that it was a wide open class, no clear cut needs, but all, so you had a lot of spots to use, but you didn't have anything that you had to go out and say you need this specific guy. And he's going to play from day one, right? At the same time, you had a class that wasn't as good top to bottom um, as as maybe some other classes. Everything's sort of compacted, so all the all the the best players in this class are sort of huddled together. And what that meant was is that they were getting interest that they typically wouldn't get. So in most years, like let's take 2016, you were able to go out and get Kyle Guy early. Why? Because you you spotted Kyle Guy, you you made a relationship with Kyle Guy, you impressed Kyle Guy, you got him on, on in for a visit, and you were able to blow him away and seal him up before anybody really noticed that he was really good. That just did not happen with this class because in this class, there were not a whole lot of good players. Everybody was sort of packed in together, and so the early evaluation just didn't matter. You weren't going to go out and get Ty, Kyle and Ty the way that they did before, and then watch as those kids make you know, roll up the, the rankings because they're playing well. On the flip side of that, I think that there were a lot of classes, a lot of teams, maybe at, at, a, at a, let's say, a, a, um, a comparable level that were able to kind of go out and get kids uh, early in this class or have gotten kids in this class in general um, that I think had more opportunity and the sales pitch worked better. Um, you know, I do think last year's, you know, took a lot of wind out of the sale. I think that's just a reality in, in this in this environment, you have to continue to win. If you're going to be a program that 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 that, that kind of makes its makes its hay off of consistency, you got to be consistent. And so last year's results, I mean, let's be honest, it it brought to question and gave a lot of those folks who hate Virginia's style of basketball the opportunity to crow about how much they hate that style of basketball. Um, that's what happens when you're not if you're if you're a program who makes its hay out of being consistent and you're not. Um, I do think, though, that that if you look at the roster and you're and you're and you're fair in your understanding of um, uh, not just expectations but also uh, a potential, um, there's no reason to be sounding alarms. But there's definitely reason to look at 2018 and go, man, this is this kind of sucks. Like this, this is not fun. Um, and they're in a tight spot now. Like I said before, they can close out the class with a, with a couple of commitments and may, and and it'll, and it's fine. It doesn't take out the heartburn that you felt. But realistically, let's be honest. The heartburn really comes from wanting to get to the next level, wanting to get to a place where you're going to the Final Four, where you're, where you're not just you know, winning con- consistently during the season, but you're making the end of the season count. And that's the place Virginia hasn't reached yet, and that's the place everybody wants it to go. And every year that it doesn't happen, that anxiety kicks up a notch, and folks are, you know, folks are stressed. I get it. I totally get it. But don't forget about how, how bad it was you know, a decade ago. And, yeah, <laughs> no, and, and I don't disagree with that. I just think that I understand where people are coming from, which is like a decade ago was a decade ago, right? Like on some level, you want to get you, you want to keep progress. Yeah, when you're here now, you progress. You know, you want to see that progress, and I get that. I just feel like it, it, I understand where fans are coming from. I just think that a lot of times, uh, the the emotion of want, just wanting it so bad, right? And let's be honest, football has sucked, right? And they basketball was the thing that they could hang the hat on, and then basketball started to kind of maybe. Almost take a half a step back last year, and and now you got this recruiting class that it, it feels like you can't seem to to get the guys you want. I get I get the frustration. I just think that on some level, here's a guy you you have a head coach who 
who if he if he took a job tomorrow at another school, you would be freaked the heck out and you'd be blowing my site up because you were freaking out, right? That should tell you all you need to know about recruiting, right? Is you still trust the guy at the head of the at the head of the ship. You still trust the, the, the guy who is the skipper of the boat. Like if that's the case, then you sort of you know, it's like it's like at the beginning of the Bible, right? Uh, if in the beginning God created, if you believe that, you believe the rest of it, right? If you believe Tony Bennett's the guy, then you don't. Ha- then you shouldn't be worried. I understand anxious, but don't be worried. Don't borrow trouble because if if he took the Indiana job, you'd have freaked out and you'd have been posting about the world was falling uh, on top of your head on my message board constantly. And I think that's a great place to put a pin in it. <laughs> I'm gonna sneak in there before Dave chimes in, and we talk for 15 minutes about it. But no, nope. I, I just, I really, I really, under, like I said, I get where folks are coming from. I understand the frustration. I do think you, if you, if you want to be worried about it, feel free. But I just don't think that that's that's going to be a productive thing. I mean, ultimately, you know, Bennett is is gonna, he's he's got a good team. He's got a good, uh, good nucleus. I don't think he all of a sudden forgot how to coach. Um, they're gonna bounce back. I think. And and I think in eighteen they're gonna get they're gonna get players they like so, I think that's uh you know I I guess I, like I said I understand where people come from but you know you got to wait until it, it actually plays out I mean it's not like they're signing up me and Dave and Ferber to go out there you know I mean they're they're still gonna get recruits that actually can play a high level ACC basketball. Uh, on that note, want to thank everybody for asking questions. We kind of got into the basketball recruiting without leaving the question and answer. So I appreciate everybody out there uh, for submitting your questions, for supporting the show week to week, and definitely want to thank Dave and, and Ferber for being on the show and giving graciously of their time as always. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorn.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. <laughs>